we've been working through a, a series called Peeled, which is really asking or looking at the fruit of the Spirit and then asking ourselves, well, how are we going when we get peeled back in life, when we get into a tough situation, when you know, we're hard pressed and we're anxious or we're stressed, you know, when we're in a difficult situation and God sort of peels back our character, what oozes out? And uh, we can run through that list and we can probably tick a box for some of them and do fairly well. For others, God is still very much a work in progress on us. And that fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, we can really see that they're broken up into three sets of three. The first three, love, joy and peace, are really those fruits of the Spirit that manifest in our thoughts towards God. Because really to be someone who's loving and joyous and peaceful, we cannot have those qualities outside of a relationship with God. He's the one that gives them to us. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So joy comes from God and God is love. And the peace that surpasses all understanding is God given. So those three fruits of the Spirit really are the manifestation of the character of God and our intimacy with Him. That's the starting point. And out of those flow the next three gifts of the Spirit, which are our, our, our I guess, our interaction with our fellow man, a long suffering. Like if we're not people who are patient, then our relationships are not going to go very far. We're going to get fed up with people very quickly or frustrated by them. We need to be long suffering people that have tolerance towards other people. We need to be kind in the way that we relate to other people. And then we need to be good in the sense that our, our relationships with people are always looking to bless, to build people up, to see the best in them, to grow them in God. And then we come to the last three fruits of the Spirit, which really are more um, who we are as people. Are we a faithful person? Are we faithful to our family? Are we faithful to our wife, to our children? Are we faithful to our employers? Like it's the, our character one that's a faithful character. Are we meek? And meek isn't a weakness, it's just a gentleness. So when we interact with people, our gentle nature actually draws people to us. I, I really imagine Jesus as someone who was very gentle, that people were gravitated to him. They were attracted to him because he was just someone who would always speak the truth in love, would always tell you what you needed to hear, but it would be done in such a way that you'd be able to receive it. And that's what a good friend does. They don't avoid the issues. They don't speak lies to you. They don't flatter you. They tell you the truth. They stand by you, but they do it in such a way that you can receive it. You can take on that truth and you can change because of their gentleness. And the last fruit of the Spirit is self-control, which is our capacity to say no to the lusts of the flesh. So if we're Christians that cannot get on top of our desires or our, our, our ungodly appetites, then we're going to get caught up in all sorts of things that are going to rob us of being godly men and women. And so they're the fruits of the Spirit. And we've been looking at those because out of those come the gifts of the Spirit. And what we want to begin to look at over the next couple of weeks is what are the gifts of the Spirit and what has God given to us individually? How do they play out in the life of the church? Um, and, and having an understanding of the way that God's wired us and equipped us and empowered us will enable us to minister to the world.
minister to one another, for the church to be a place where you just don't come and receive information. We are ministers that minister to one another and minister to the world. And we do that with the gifts that God has given to us. There are diversities of gifts, which means there are many gifts that God gives, but the same Holy Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation or the exhibition of the Spirit of God is, to, is given to each one for the profit of all. For to the one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. So out of that list we have the, what, we, what is commonly known as the nine gifts of the Spirit, but there are actually more in Scripture. We got uh, out of Romans 12, there's another lot of gifts, and out of Ephesians and, and 1 Peter, there's a few as well. But our focus is going to be on 1 Corinthians 12 and what we might call the power gifts. That God has empowered the church to use these different gifts um, because that gives us the capacity to represent the Godhead in completeness. And just to give you some background, when we talk about the manifestation or the exhibition of the Spirit of God, there's a presumption that we make or an assumption that we make that the baptism in the Holy Spirit has already happened in our life. So the, the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself through us. But if the Spirit of God isn't resident inside us, then we cannot manifest those gifts. They're birthed out of God's presence in our life. And so what Scripture does in teaching us about the gifts of the Spirit, it assumes already that we've been baptised in the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is resident in our life and that we know that. That His power and His authority, His presence have come into our life and taken control of our life so we are His vessel, His servant. We're available for Him to use. That's, a, that's an assumption that's already made. So if those gifts do not manifest in your life to some degree, then we've got to go back to the root and ask ourselves, did we get into the Christian faith in the completeness that God had planned for us? That's a different message. But those supernatural abilities or gifts are birthed in us through the Holy Spirit's presence and His power flowing out of us. They're released at His will and apportioned at His will. They're graces. They're gifts. They're not given on merit. So if you work hard for God, doesn't mean he's going to give you more gifts. God gives them as he wishes and as he wills. You know, it doesn't matter um, if you've been in church for 50 years, you don't earn them by merit. You can be a brand new Christian that God just goes, I'm going to give you these gifts. And that means that in the manifestation of those gifts, it can become very competitive because we can look at something that somebody has and we can wonder, well, why don't I have that gift? Or why does that person get that gift? And, and it can become very competitive. But what we need to do is always focus on the profit for all. The gifts are not ours for our benefit, for our profile, for our, you know, they're for us to give away and to bless the church. That's always the context of the gifts. And the gifts are best 
manifest out of the fruit of the Spirit. So if we are godly men and women that have mature character, then the the exhibition or the administration of those gifts will come out with great maturity. They'll be used at the right time, in the right way, in the right context. So without mature character, in the exercise of spiritual gifts, there's great danger. Because a new Christian might have a prophetic gift, but they might not know the right time to use it. Or they might not have the wisdom to know when to use that gift and the way to deliver that gift so that the person can receive it. Doesn't mean they don't have the gift, it's there. But you want that gift to be a blessing, a profit, a benefit, a beneficial thing to the person receiving it. So people can get very hurt if the gifts aren't used properly and our motives for administering those gifts often get very distorted and we need to make sure our motive for doing what we do in God is right. So personality, recognition, individuality and popularity can easily take precedence over the right motive, which is the profit for all. So the use of gifts without godly character will bring competition and rupture unity rather than promote the unanimity of the body function. In other words, whatever gift is manifest is supposed to bless. It's supposed to draw us together. It's supposed to see us functioning as a body, not in individuality, but in common unity. And it draws us together. So godly character combined with power and authority of the gifts means they're administered with and in love. And that's what Paul says. You know, there's no good having all these gifts if you don't have love. They've got to be manifested. Now, that's a presumption that we are already going to assume that most people know. But when we come to the topic of the gifts of the Spirit, there's so much controversy out there. I reckon if you went to 10 different churches, you'd get 10 different teachings on the theology of the gifts of the Spirit. And when I read Scripture, Paul was very blunt and said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't know why there's a mystery. Because Paul's actually saying that there shouldn't be. Because the gifts of the Spirit are clearly to be understood. They're not mysterious. We can get our heads around them. We can understand how to use them properly. We can understand how they flow and function and how they bless the church. So I don't know why we've got this conjecture out in Christian circles. We could go to a church today where they would say the gifts of the Spirit don't function anymore. On the other end of the scale, we could go to churches where the gifts of the Spirit function without any um, process that's a free-for-all. You do what you want, when you want. But the truth is somewhere in the middle. The gifts are for today, for us to use and to bless the church and to advance the kingdom. But they happen in order. They happen in such a way that the profit for all is almost always the utmost. So everybody has a part or parts to play in the body of the church. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So what that's saying is that every one of us have a part to play in the life of the fullness of the church and the advancement of the kingdom. There's not one of us that don't have gifts. No one missed out. We've all got something that God has placed in our heart, given to us so that we can use those gifts so that all the parts of the body function. None of us have got it all. We've got to work together. We've got to celebrate the 
diversity of gifts that God has given. Because really the picture is that Jesus, when he returned to heaven and ascended, he gave gifts to men. So Jesus is the full package. And he split himself up into little parts and said, here, Corin, you can have this part of me and you can have this part, Daryl. And then all those parts, when they work together, form the body. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for people to know what their gifts are, to use those gifts for the profit of all. And so the emphasis should be on equal value and concern. There are greater gifts, but they're not more important than anything else. There's no one of us here that's more important than anybody else. There may be profile. There may be a platform that somebody gets where their gifts are more prominent. So someone who has a prophetic gift that that God has given to speak to the church might be up the front more and have the microphone in their hand. That doesn't make that gift more important. Doesn't make that person more, you know, higher in the hierarchy. That's not the way the gifts work. In fact, the gifts work the other way around. If you read scripture, the gifts that are sort of lesser, the parts of the body that we would hide, you know, our genitals, in the sense of our body, we give them great honour and we care for them just as much as we do the prominent ones like our face, our head. And so we need to understand the body context. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. They're the prerequisites of understanding the gifts. For I say through the grace given to me, this was Paul, to every one of you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in the body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, then let us prophesy in a portion to our faith. If it's our ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So what happens here is that Scripture sponsors the idea that the gifts are available to anyone at any time because of the universal presence and indwelling of the Holy Spirit who can impart those gifts and activate those gifts in any given scenario at any given time. And yet there's a tension because Scripture also sponsors the idea that the gifts are limited according to the grace given to us and we should be aware of our limited capacity to minister. There's this tension in Scripture. And so we often get a scenario where we go, well, I don't have the gift of healing, so I won't pray. Or I'm not a prophet, so I won't even think about prophecy. But we need to hold this in right context because I think that God can use us at any time, anywhere to manifest those gifts. So I don't think any of us should be saying, well, I'll never be able to use the nine gifts because I think if we step out for God and we minister for him, he'll use us. But I also think that we're wired up in such a way that there are, there are gifts that we are likely to be more prominent in, in more regularly. And we need to know what they are. And we need to use those gifts. So we get around that tension by not thinking that the gifts are medals that we wear on our chest. Oh, so Mark Wilson has eight of the nine gifts. 
How many do you have, Paul? Oh, you only have five. Not doing so well, are you? But I know Daryl has six. <laughs> you know how it can get like that? That is, that is the, totally the wrong context because they're tools for the job. My understanding of the gifts are as if we turn up for work for the Lord, for the kingdom, and we do the job and we're in a scenario where we need to discern spirits, the gift of discerning spirits will manifest. But I don't have to go back here and say, I have the gift of distinguishing spirits. It's the wrong context. They're tools for the job. But God has wired us up so that we do play parts in the body. So my gift is teaching. That's my gift. There's lots of other gifts I don't have. But the beauty of the body is that we've got them all. And if we can celebrate that, if we can make space for those gifts, if we can allow people to discover what those gifts are, the body gets the benefit because we've got all the parts. We're not just a church that has teaching. We're a church that has prophetic. We're a church that has evangelists. We're a church that has pastors. We're a church that has all the gifts functioning in the life of the church. That's where we want to go. So the gifts are not primarily about who has them. So when we do an analysis like what we're doing today, it's not mm, looking at my personal list and thinking how proud I am. It's actually saying, what part do I play that blesses the body? What part do I bring that will enhance the church? And any degree of individuality that's expressed within the body is always set within the context of the prophet for all. So if God gives me a gift of teaching, the whole point is if I don't teach, the body doesn't get blessed. If I have a prophetic word, if I don't use that word to bless the body, the, the body misses out. So I think the context that we have in the church life today is that we're lacking rather than celebrating the overabundance of gifts. The gifts are here. We have to recognise them, activate them posture ourselves, position ourselves so that we're the instrument that God can use. Not going, oh, I don't think God will use me today. Wrong mindset. They're tools for the job. Step up for the job, God will put the spanner in your hand. He'll put the word of prophecy. He'll put the word of knowledge in your mind. He'll put the, the word of wisdom there. He'll give you the gift when you need it. You don't need it when you're dormant. You need it when you're doing the job. So the more we do the job, the more the gifts will flow, the more that they'll be activated, the more that we will be empowered. So holding and maintaining sober judgment requires humility. There's nothing worse than someone thinking they have a gift that they don't have. How do you tell that person? Sorry, mate, I just don't see that. You're going to destroy them. And that's why I think Paul says it's up to us to have sober judgment, to know what we do well, what God has given to us, what he's entrusted to us. And the best way of determining our giftedness is the affirmation of the church body. That's the best way to know. Don't say, oh, I've got. Let the church tell you. Let people tell you. Do stuff. And as you do stuff, people will say. Now, most of you know Mark Wilkinson, right? Mark has a gift of hospitality, <laughs> It is so obvious when you go to his home, when stuff happens, food appears magically on the table. He's just got a gift and he doesn't have to work hard at it. It's just a gift that God has given him. It's so obvious. You don't need to say, Mark, what your gift is. He knows what it is because he gets great enjoyment out of it. There's fruit that comes out of him doing his gifts. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so you have to be doing something 
knowing something or speaking something for that exhibition of the gift to be recognised. It doesn't happen sitting in the pews. We've got to minister for God. We've got to step out in faith. We've got to trust God is going to use us and those gifts will flow. How do you know if you're a teacher if you've never taught anything? But if you give someone an opportunity to preach, ask for some feedback. What was that like? Oh, I didn't learn anything, to be honest. You put me to sleep, you know. You probably need to ask yourself some tough questions. That's why sober judgment is not, you know, alcoholic judgment. Oh, yeah, I'm the best preacher. It's sober judgment. We go, you know, I'm probably not a teacher. But God's given me other gifts that are equally important. And if you start going, well, I need to be the teacher, we've missed the point. We're all there to serve one another. So we've got to be willing that's one thing, but we've got to create opportunity. You can tell I haven't been drunk for a long time. I'm not a very good drunk. So we, we need to step up. So Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers for, and here's where we get church wrong, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's my job to help you understand how God has wired you up to minister and release you to do it, not get in the way. That's where we have church sort of mixed up and back the front and upside down because we don't allow people to know what their giftedness is. We don't give them opportunity. We don't give them space to explore. We don't put people in a scenario where they, how do you know that you have a gift of healing unless you've never prayed for someone to be healed? You don't know. So pray. And if God begins to heal people, guess what? You've got a gift. But what happens if you're the only person on the island and that person breaks their leg? Do you go, sorry, mate, I can't pray for you. I know what gifts I've got, but I don't have that one. Can't pray for healing. Sorry, mate, you just have to suffer. No, because if, if the Spirit of God dwells in us, we just don't know when God will activate or empower us to use that gift in that context. But I think if you understand apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, when you put all those people together, you've got all the gifts. And some of us will align ourselves under those things. So we're more apostolic. And the apostles were the guys that probably had most of the gifts most of the time, by nature being apostles. But then the prophets operated in a different way. Evangelists operate in a different way. Pastors do and teachers do. But the beauty of it is, is that we all work together. And when we all work together, we've got every gift that we need. We're not lacking. You ever tried to work on a car when you don't have the right tool? Sherry's car, the, the little oil sensor went on it and you had to have, I had to go and buy five different tools to get this little thing out because I had to have a, an extension that bent that way, that went that way. So when I bent that way, the thing actually came out. It was so frustrating. Never use the tools again. They'll probably go rusty, but I needed that tool for the job. And that's the point. These are tools for the job. And we get those tools so that the church can do the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by the wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, 
according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. What a beautiful picture. If we all pay our part, we've got the lot. It's a hamburger with the lot. Now, I think the struggle that we have is often when we read about the gifts operating in the book of Acts, which is primarily where we see it, we're looking at apostles. And those men and women had the majority of the gifts. That's by nature what you get as an apostle because you start stuff up and you need all those gifts to get the body moving. But then the apostles step back and let the church function. They don't need to be there forever and a day. They, they bring the different parts of the body in. And so we shouldn't mix up governance with function. We've got to be careful that we don't get those back the front. So the gifts of the Spirit... I think we can break up into three different parts. The first parts are the gifts of knowing, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits. The second three are faith for miracles, healings and works of power. They're gifts of doing. And then there's gifts of speaking. So the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation and the gift of prophecy. And today, very quickly, we're just going to look at the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Remember in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was the Logos, the fullness of all knowledge. It's the word, you know, how we get biology, sociology, physiology. Add up all those ologies, and you've got the fullness of every bit of knowledge there is. That's Jesus. He's the Logos. So Logos, Sophia, is, is the word, the spoken word of wisdom, and then Logos gnosis is the spoken word of knowledge. And so we're looking at two gifts of the Spirit that are only mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and nowhere else in Scripture are they used. So it's very difficult for us to know quite precisely what those gifts are because uh, there's not a definition. There's just a statement. There is a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. Now, we're smart enough probably to figure out what they are by looking at what unfolded so the word of knowledge, therefore, is knowledge received from the Holy Spirit to enable us to more effectively minister to the needs of people, to know and understand situations, circumstances, and strategies of the enemy or the kingdom of darkness. It enables us to know how to speak in the above situations with the knowledge that can surprise, baffle, disarm, open up, bring answers, healing, and understanding. So the prerequisite is not necessarily to be a knowledgeable person. It's knowledge that God gives to us by a download just like that. It just happens supernaturally. It's supernatural revelation of a fact about a person or a situation which is not learned through the efforts of the natural mind. So I could sit here and I could look at Sam up there and I could conjure up something and I go, Sam, I think God's saying, and he might go, you're right. But I've done that with my human mind. What the Spirit of God does is just plant something in your mind that you could not know that any other way than God gave you that revelation. And it's for you to use. Now, a word of knowledge is a spoken out something. You might have knowledge about a situation or someone, but it's not a word of knowledge until it's professed until it comes out of your mouth and then it actually becomes prophecy because you're declaring something to be true so it's not learned through human efforts but it's a fragment of knowledge truth or error or fact freely given by god disclosing the truth 
which the Spirit wishes to make known concerning a particular situation. So we could be in a prayer ministry situation and Cheryl and I could be praying with somebody. And then what God will do is they'll will be struggling to discern why this person's got a blockage in their life. And Cheryl will just get this word and she'll say, we're dealing with this. And that person will go, how did you know that? And Cheryl didn't know that. God planted the word. Now you've all heard of a guy called Charles Spurgeon. He was preaching one day and he stopped and he said, young man, those gloves that you're wearing, you stole them. Go back and give them the money. Now, how would he know that? He didn't because God gave him the revelation of knowledge. So it's all about truth. It's all about disclosing lies. It's all about us growing in God, moving into holiness. And it's a great gift because it allows us not to waste our time. It allows us not to be deceived. It allows us to know exactly what God wants us to do in a particular situation. And we go straight to the cutting point. And the Holy Spirit knows everything. He just gives us the privilege of drawing us into his knowledge and saying, well, Kelly, this is what it is. (laughs) Speak it out. And by speaking it out, we actually help those people. We bless them. We might expose stuff in their light, but it's for the purpose of loving them to be whole. So we can use that gift of knowledge, word of knowledge for correction, for edification, for exposure. So Ananias and Sapphira, remember when they had that property? And Peter said, "Uh uh-uh, you're lying. (laughs) This is what God's told me. And so it didn't allow the church to be in error. It made holiness a really high standard. And I bet you in that church, when that word of knowledge happened, everybody got their affairs in order. After those, those people will drop dead in an instant, I reckon there was a whole lot of reckoning happening behind the scenes. People were starting to get their lives in order because what it did was it raised holiness. It showed people the authority of God. And that's really what a word of knowledge is. It's God's authority. It's God's truth revealed and manifested. And it's a great gift. And we see that like the woman at the well where she was standing there and Jesus was having a conversation with her. and Jesus said, go, call your husband and come back here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, well, you've said very well that you have no husband for you've had five of them. And the man you are living with right now is not your husband. That was a word of knowledge. What was the fruit of Jesus declaring that to her? She was amazed. And she went back into the town and she said to all the people in her village, come and meet someone who told me everything about my life and that whole town got saved as a result of the Lord speaking the way he did and we can use those gifts as well. The gift of the word of wisdom is slightly different. It enables one to express the Holy Spirit's revelation knowledge or answers to either an individual or to a group of people like a church in a way that surpasses any previous natural ability to input into that situation. It carries the mark of the wisdom of God and God's wisdom beats all other wisdom known to man. So the prerequisite is not to be a wise person, although you will find that wise people tend to have more words of wisdom. But you can be a brand new Christian who knows nothing about the situation and God says, here's a word, this is what should be done. And you speak it out and people go, wow, why didn't I think of that before? Why didn't we see that? It was so obvious that that's the wise, mature way to go, but we didn't know that. But God's revelation gives that capacity to do that. 
Many people do receive information and gifts in the Holy Spirit, but they do not always know how to deliver them, nor to whom they should deliver them. So if we do not minister in God's wisdom, we can make mistakes, we can cause disrespect to the gifts, we can show insensitivity to the person or people we are delivering the information to, and we can often cause offence. The gift may be right, but the manner of dispensing it may be wrong. So the word of wisdom helps us to deliver it right, the right application of the knowledge. Now, let me give you a good example. In Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had the faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet, and he leaped and walked. So Paul was watching him and observing him, and he could see, word of knowledge, that he had the faith to be healed. But then he spoke out a word of wisdom, which was, stand up on your feet, Ben. See, he had the wisdom to know what to say in the right context. He didn't say, do you want to be healed? He didn't say, do you have the faith to be healed? He already knew that. He knew what he needed to say. The wisdom of God in that situation was, mate, just stand up. And he stood up and he was healed. So you see the wisdom, word of knowledge and the word of wisdom are very closely aligned. They're often interchangeable. They're hard to separate, but they are different gifts and we need to celebrate them. So both the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge are gifts of the Spirit. They are Spirit-inspired. They're supernatural in nature, and they help the Spirit-filled believer to bring the presence and the reality of the living Christ into a situation, as well as to bring answers to humanity, both individually and collectively. I tell you what, we need these gifts because we need God's wisdom. We need to know his knowledge so we don't waste our time. Can you imagine Jesus when he was feeding the 5,000 and they began to come to him for ministry? If he had to sit there and go through all their journey and all their history to decide what they really needed from God, he'd have been, he'd still be there now. But because he had words of knowledge, words of wisdom, because he was spirit-filled, because he was God, the whole package of gifts, he was able to say, Stacy, bang, right on the money, right on the nail. And so he was able to minister more often, more frequently, more precisely. He didn't get confused by the enemy. He wasn't sitting there trying to conjure up in his mind, oh, what will I say about Stacy? How can I bless her? He just knew. And so he spoke it out. And for us as a body, we need these gifts. We need these gifts to bless one another, to encourage one another. We need these gifts in evangelism. We need these gifts as prophetic words. Now, a lot of you know Greg and Julie Bailey, who've come here a number of times. Their ministry is becoming more and more about going into the workplace, into unsaved businesses, and allowing God to give them words of wisdom for those people that run those businesses. Now, they're not Christians. And they're like, how do you know that? How do you know that? Well, they don't really know. It's God's revelation. But the profession of that word can be so inspiring. Now, I can tell you that I would not be in ministry unless it was for a word of knowledge and wisdom because I was going to walk away from ministry and Greg and Julie prophesied over Cheryl and I and they didn't know us from a bar of soap. We'd been pastors in a church. The church had self-destructed. We didn't understand why. We felt like we'd done everything that God had told us to do and yet it ended up 
pear-shaped. It was a horrible experience. Never want to go through it again. And the aftermath of that was I was left confused, bewildered, didn't want to go on, didn't want to get hurt again, and so I'd given up. But they prayed for us. They put their hand on us. They didn't know us from a bar of soap. And they said, the first line that they said was, Mark, God wants you to know you didn't make a mistake. You did what I told you to do. The outcome's not your responsibility. You were faithful. Now, can you imagine what those words were like in my ears and my heart and my spirit? Totally removed the doubt, the fear. It was like someone let the pressure valve out. It was a beautiful word. They didn't know me. They didn't conjure it up. It came straight from God. And then they encouraged us with a word of wisdom to go back into ministry and God's perspective to do it this way and to do it differently next time. And so we were ministered to. It was such a beautiful thing. It was only a couple of sentences, yet so precise in God and such a blessing. That's the Spirit of God at work. That's why we need the church to move in these gifts. That's why we need to take the risk to allow those gifts to function. Now, it is such a blessing when that happens through you. When someone comes and says, will you pray for me? And you go, oh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> exactly the point. You don't know, but God does. So you just start off generally. Just start off, Lord, give me something. You know, I'll just pray. Lord, I pray for Peter. I thank you for his life. I thank you for his beautiful family. Thank you for his beautiful kids. And suddenly you'll just get this inkling, this little raw thought, I'll pray down this corridor. Lord, I just pray that his work situation would change. And then suddenly God begins to open up the revelation. But if you never pray, it will never happen. If you never pray for healing, no one will ever get healed. If we never get into situations where we need to do deliverance, you'll never need to discern, distinguish spirits. So we need to be doing the work of ministry. Then the gifts will manifest. Then we'll be able to celebrate what God is doing. And it's such a good thing to be an effective tool in the toolbox. I want to be a tool. Someone calls you a tool, you go, yeah, mate, I'm a tool. I am. I'm God's tool. And in fact, I'm a spanner, I'm a wrench, I'm a screwdriver, I'm a Phillips head, I'm a flathead, I'm all of those. It makes us effective in God. And that's really what God wants us to be, is to be effective. Now, in a couple of weeks' time, we're taking a heap of people to Fiji. I can tell you what will happen. Because of the situation those young people and those families will put themselves in, God will turn up. Because they're taking risks. They're stepping out in faith. They're in situations where if Jesus doesn't show up and manifest himself, we're going to look pretty silly. But that's when God works. Because <laughs> he wants to be in places when it is only him that can do it. He just wants us to be people of faith, people that are willing. And we need to create a church where there's opportunity.